Good morning and welcome. I think Scott mentioned this earlier, but if you're visiting with us uh, for the first time, we want to say that we are so glad that you're here. And we have this kiosk right over here, and someone will be there after the service to meet you and uh, give you a little packet of information. And then if you are uh, visiting with us today and haven't yet been to the Connection, Cross Point Connect, and the last building on the property going that direction, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to meet you and get to know you better, some snacks, and uh, Scott and I will be there and our families, and uh, we would love to get to know you a little better. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Brad Cardwell, for those of you that don't know. Um, Scott uh, Sutton and Ben McGraw do most of the preaching here. They're on staff and uh, our other two elders. I'm a non-staff elder, and so I may not have met some of you yet, and so you're wondering, uh, who is this guy up here? Uh, preaching today. I'll be preaching for the next three weeks. This is our CF missions uh, emphasis for the next three weeks. Uh, we've moved that from Christmas time to the springtime and hopefully plan on uh, focusing on and gathering up an offering for missions each spring. And so it is my privilege to be able to preach through uh, the next three Sundays. And I'm uh, so glad that you're going to be a part of that this morning with us. We want to start by praying for our own hearts, that we would receive his word, and then pray for another church in town. Uh, we cheer for other churches. We're not in competition with other churches, and so we're going to lift up another church uh, in town as well. So will you pray for me as we prepare our hearts to hear from him? Father, we pray that you would um, prepare our hearts to hear uh, your truth, to look for you, to look for your salvation, to look for your mission, to look for your good news this morning in this, these passages, because you are what we need this morning. More than we need our problems fixed, more than we need more resources, more than we need anything else, we need you. And we pray also that you would not just remind us of that, but that you would call us again to your work, who you are in your worship, and your honor. We also lift up family fellowship here in Greenville, that you would do that same thing among those people, that they would hear faithful teaching of the gospel this morning and enjoy it, and rest in it, and then move out and walk in it on your mission this week. We thank you for the abundance of good preachers and teachers, for the uh, abundance of churches in this community, and the fact that you're at work. We're grateful, and we pray that you would mold us into a people that put your name on display and make your name great individually and corporately. We turn this morning over to you. We offer you this morning in worship, already in song and now in word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I, we're in this missions emphasis. And that word missions or mission can kind of make us assume and presume some things, I, I think. Uh, for me, it did in the past, and it can even now, and maybe it has for you. When you hear the word missions, 
immediately you begin to think maybe. Well, that's where we talk about other countries. That's, now we're going to talk about missionaries, right? We're gonna, that's for somebody else, and we have to put up with it once a year, and we listen to uh, what other people are doing, what other people are called to. Uh, I mean, if you can't preach and you can't sing, you go on mission, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how I grew up. If you're not a preacher, or you're not good at evangelism, and you're not good at, at uh, preaching or teaching, and you can't sing and lead worship, well, you missionary. And so that the presumption can be, hopefully not, that the missions, living on mission, being missional, is for somebody else. God calls some people to missions. And that's really cool that he calls some people to missions. But what I hope we discover in the next few weeks is that this call to be on mission is our call. It is your call. It is my call. We are called to be on mission. Now, what we're going to look at this morning is what is the mission? What is the objective? What is the call? What's really going on? What's the work? We have enjoyed Ephesians and Romans this year. Scott and Ben have dug deep truths, good gospel, equipping truths about the vertical relationship that we have, about the the good news of God's rescue from our debased mind, the, the beauty of the horizontal that we enjoy with each other in the church. We have for 14 plus years sat under really good, rich teaching and equipping, right? So the, the economy has turned around. The, look at what God's doing in our cities and the cities around us. Things are looking up in so many ways. And we've been blessed. No doubt we've been blessed. Why? Is it just to be a healthy church? Is it just to be able to enjoy a good economy? Is it just so that we can get a good report card as a church? Those aren't bad things to want to be and strive for. But is that it? Why has God blessed us? When we look at Scripture, why did God bless his people? Why does he provide? Why does he give resources? Why does he give good teachers and good preachers and evangelists to the church? Why does he do those things? What's he doing? What's he up to? Is it just to kind of be good at being his people? Or is there something more? And so we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 11. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at the call of Abraham. A couple of years ago when Ben was in Hebrews, we uh, all took a hero of the faith. There's this list in chapter 11 describing the heroes of the faith, what they were called to, what they were faithful in. And we're going to look this morning at the call of Abraham. The writer of Hebrews puts on display what faithful obedience looks like in these heroes of the faith. And we're going to look at the faithful obedience of Abraham. What did this call and this faith look like in Abraham? And what does this call and this faith look like or should look like in us? 
Obedience to this call of Abraham, obedience to this call, and when I say call, I mean God commanding and instructing and calling out Abraham. Obedience to that call will require faith. And you can write that down. We, we have to start there. Obedience to this call will require faith, a step of faith. But it'll also, obedience to this call will also strengthen our faith. It requires faith and it will strengthen our faith when we are obedient to this call. Now, let's read uh, Hebrews 11. It's just two verses, 8 through 10, three verses, sorry. I'm going to get my math right. Starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Three short verses. This is the call of Abraham. Now, we're going to look at the three elements of this call and then a few elements of each element. Okay, so there's going to be three main points and then a couple of sub points. What I want to see first is that Abraham is called to go, he was obedient to go. Geo. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. When he's called to go, I want to look at three things when he's called to go out. Kind of where is he going, why is he going, and what faith is required in the going. He's called to go out with a promise. Okay, He's called to go out with a promise. Think of how unnerving it is when you're sitting in your living room and I were to blow in the door and say, hey, come on, let's go. Let's get up, let's go. Is that not unnerving? <laughs> Would that not be unnerving to you if I just opened the door and said, hey, here we go. Let's go out. You're going to want sort of some kind of information, right? Like what, what, where are, what are we doing? And so God gives Abraham a promise. He says, get up. I'm up to something. I'm doing something. He promises Abraham I'm up to something, I'm designing and I'm building something, and I'm going to take you to a place of promise. So that's what he has, and that's all he has, right? The second thing is he, he's, he doesn't have anything else besides that. It says he did not know where he was going. He knew God was up to something, so he was promised, and he had to believe the promise, and that took faith, but he didn't get the details. He didn't know how this was going to turn out. He wasn't told how this trip might go, how this journey might go. He wasn't promised that it would be easy. He's not promised that it would be hard. He's just told, I'm up to something. I'm doing something. I'm designing something. I'm building something. And I'm going to promise you, you will inherit it, this. You will inherit this promise. You will inherit a land I'm designing and building something, and you're going to inherit this. 
And that's all he knew. And so he stepped out in faith to the unknown. He doesn't know how it's going to go. Movement to step out, to trust that God is doing something, and not have the details requires faith. To move out and go knowing that God is up to something, and that's all you know, requires great faith. And it also requires you to step away from what is familiar. I want us to look at the actual call of Abraham. The Hebrews preacher is alluding to the call, which the actual call is in Genesis 12. So flip over to Genesis chapter 12. I want to see, I want you to look at the actual call of Abraham because it's going to reveal some things. It's going to reveal God's intentions. Why does he call him to go? Why does he call him to get up? And why does he call him to leave familiar and go to the unknown? Why does he call him to step out in faith? What is God up to? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This call to go will require a step of faith to leave what is comfortable and what is familiar. The call of Abraham to go will always require leaving some sort of comfort some sort of kindred, some sort of familiar. That's not on the table for discussion when God calls us to go. When God calls Abraham to go, his comfort and convenience is not considered. He's called to go. To step out in faith and go with a promise. But he also, in the promise, promises to bless him. I will bless you. I will bless you in such a way that all of the families of the earth will be blessed. God's intentions are revealed right here in the first book of the Bible. And we're going to look at a few other passages that confirm his intentions in calling us as a people to be a people. In calling us to move out and step out in faith and go. We still had not gotten to what we're doing yet. We're, we're just called out to go. We know it's going to be no promise of comfort. Convenience is not a priority. But there's this call to go out. But what is his intention? What is God's intentions here? And they're revealed right here. His intentions in blessing Abraham is so that all of the families of earth will be blessed. How are they going to be blessed through Abraham? Because he's going to bless Abraham. Not with money not with more cattle, not with more land. He is going to bless Abraham with offspring. You know the story, right? He's going to bless Abraham with offspring. And who comes from his offspring eventually? Jesus. That is how he will bless the earth, through Abraham. Yes, he blesses his people. Yes, he blesses Abraham with offspring. So, First idea I want you to 
get your head wrapped around is that God blesses his people for a reason. He blesses us for a reason. He blesses us with his intentions to be made known all over the earth. He blesses Abraham so that he will be made famous throughout the whole earth. All nations will worship him because of the good news about Jesus. He will be known as the Savior and a King and Lord because he blessed Abraham and from Abraham's offspring comes Jesus. The other part of his intentions is not just that he's worshipped, but that he's worshipped by all peoples. This is, this is opening this up hopefully for you. He, God's target, his intention, his mission is that he gets worship and that he gets it from all peoples. That's what he's up to this morning. That's what he's up to here. That's what he's up to in Burma. That's what he's up to in Russia. That's what he's up to in Eastern Europe and Western Europe and North Africa. And He is after worship. That's what he wants. And he wants it from every tribe and every tongue. That's his mission. That's his intention. He wants worship. Now I want you to we're going to turn to a few passages here. Uh, if I were to ask you, what is Psalm 4610? Some of y'all may know that. Um, you may just know it right off the top of your head. Um, if I said, uh, you've seen this verse on a plaque on many a wall. It's a very top line blessing. You know, the top line of God blesses his people. But few of us know the bottom line to this verse. Now if I said, be still. And you would say, know that I'm God. That's the top of the verse. A blessing, right? That his people can rest in the fact in his sovereignty that he is up to something. Be still and know that he's God. Know who he is and that he's sovereign. That's, that's a blessing, right? But that's not the whole verse. The Part B to Psalm 46.10, he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Do you see it? What's his intention in blessing us? His intention in blessing us is to get his worship from the four winds. That's his intention. That's his desire. That's what he wants, and he will get it. He wants worship from every nation. Every nation. Every people. Every language. Every tribe. Every tongue. Scott read this morning Psalm 96. Turn to Psalm 96 with me. Let's read that. I want you to see it as we read it. Psalm 96. And we're going to read the first 10 verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Watch, watch for what God's after, okay? Watch for what is he after and who does he want it from. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods 
of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Not only does he want glory, not only does he want it from all nations, he deserves it. It's due him. He is that great. Not only does he want worship from all peoples, he deserves it. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say this among the nations. The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Psalm 22, you can turn there if you want. Psalm 22, 27 through 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all of the families of the nations shall worship before you. Listen, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. He wants to be recognized. He wants to be recognized and honored. The word exalted means lifted up and honored. That's what he wants. He wants recognition. Ezekiel 16, in that chapter, God talks about his people being a faithless bride. A faithless bride. He even calls them a prostitute because they continually turn away from him. And he says, you know what? That's who you are. You continually rebel, but I'm going to save you. Blessing, right? Despite your actions, despite your sin, I'm going I'm to receive you back in and I'm going to remember my covenant with you. In chapter 20 of Ezekiel, he tells them why he's going to do that. And he says four times in Ezekiel chapter 20, he says this, I am going to remember my covenant with you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to save you. So that the sake of my name in the sight of all nations. I'm not doing this because you earned it or deserve it. I'm saving you so my name would be great among the, all the earth, among the nations of the earth, among all peoples. That's why I'm saving you. Because I want to be recognized. I want recognition among every nation. That's my goal. That's my mission. That's my intention. It's what he's saying. Most of you are probably familiar with Daniel in the lion's den, right? Those of you that went to VBS, you should know it. Um, most of our kids have heard that story of Daniel in the lion's den and celebrates this, this faith and this courage and determination of this guy, Daniel. But why did God save Daniel from the lion's den? To make much of Daniel? Did, did Daniel go on the book signing tour after this? I mean, he could have. What a story, right? He could have made some money off this deal. He could have been made much of. He was very courageous. He was very faithful. At the end of Daniel, six, Daniel chapter 6, King Darius, the one who threw Daniel in the lion's den, issues a decree 
And this is the decree. All of the nations and peoples will worship Daniel's God. That's how the story ends. That's the bottom line. Not that Daniel would look great. Not that Daniel would be famous. He saved Daniel in his faithful, obedient steps. He saved him so that all the nations would know who he was. That's why he did it. That's why he saved him. That's why he delivered Daniel. He wants recognition. He wants to be exalted. He wants worship, and he will get it. God's intention is to gain the worship of every nation. So, borrowing John Piper's phrase, missions exist because worship doesn't. The mission exists. Missions exist. There is still a mission because there are places where worship doesn't exist. There are people who don't worship him, who don't know him, who don't recognize him, don't lift him up. Some of them have no clue who Jesus is, have never heard that name this morning, still with all the technology, with all the church growth, with all the, the, the rapid movement in 2017, there are people and places where he does not get worship. But what does he want? He wants worship, and he wants it from everyone, all nations. And there are places where that does not exist, and so missions exist because worship doesn't. You see that? Now this will frame how we go. What we're talking about here, God's intention and the bottom line of what he's after will shape the why we go and it'll shape how we go. Right? Because if we go out of a heart that says he deserves worship and he's not getting it. If that's the starting point for us it will mean a long committed, unfailing journey. But if it's, well, we should go because it's kind of supposed to, and I hate to just hoard Jesus to myself, and I don't want their blood on my hands. I don't. If that's why we do it, it won't last. If it's just an experience, like, well, I want to go tell people about Jesus so I can get a notch in my gun. I want God to be pleased with me. I, don't, I, I should probably tell somebody. If that's why, that's all you, and it won't last. And you won't do it very much. But a church that's called to go, a church with this burden, knowing what he wants, will adopt his intentions. His intentions will become our intentions. And when that happens, we will be troubled by unrecognized greatness. I want to say that again. We will be troubled by unrecognized greatness. Are you troubled by unrecognized greatness? I think you are because I've seen some of you come unglued when someone either doesn't like or hasn't been to your favorite restaurant. You, you, haven't, you haven't had those fajitas? You, you haven't had that dessert? Nah, it's just, I don't like that. kind. What? 
You have to try it. We are troubled by unrecognized greatness. Now nah, we, and I don't want to get in a fight with or argument with any of you after church, so fill in the blank barbecue place, okay? Fill in the blank. I won't say one, but fill in the blank barbecue place. Have y'all been there? No, nah, we, don't, we don't like barbecue. Uh, we had a bad experience with a barbecue place one time, and we're not going back to barbecue places. That fits our context, doesn't it? Come, come to our church. Come and see, right? Come and it's, see that the Lord is good. Taste. Nah, I had a bad experience. We are troubled by unrecognized greatness. I wonder how much we are troubled by unrecognized greatness on the other side of the planet. Is our target small or is our target big? Because God's target this morning is the earth. What is our target? Is it just the restaurants here? (laughs) Is it just here or is your target the world? How troubled are we? Many people think this and have said this to me. I've even thought it at one point in my life. But you know, Brad, we've got plenty of people here in America that don't know. Plenty of people, plenty of work to do here. Plenty of ministry right here in Hunt County, right? And I love David Platt's response when people say that. He says, well, America is 5% of the world, so I guess you have 5% of God's heart. So where is our target? What is our target? Are we troubled this morning by unrecognized greatness all over the world? Back to Hebrews 11. The second aspect of this call is that this call to go will require shallow roots. Shallow roots. Look at verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. On this journey to go and leave his kindred, to leave the familiar, to leave the comforts and the context of what he knew, he was going to move in such a way on this mission, he's going to go and he's going to live with shallow roots. Living out of tents. Watching as he journeys with his family these places that are permanent dwellings for people. As he moves through other people's lands and they've got permanent structure, big barns full of goods, deep wells, hot tubs, (laughs) swimming pools, all their cattle in one place. And he's got to pack it up and keep going. Shallow roots. He's been promised a new land. He's been promised a new land where he's not an alien and he's not a traveler. But for now, on the mission, he's supposed to be an alien. In fact, all of the heroes of the faith in this this chapter 11 of Hebrews recognize that. Look at verse 13. Hebrews eleven thirteen, Talking about all these heroes of faith. These all died in faith, not, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged what they were, that they were strangers and exiles on earth. 
Every hero of the faith knew they were a stranger as long as they were here in this earth. They knew that the mission required shallow roots. Not to dig in and get comfy. Not to build your kingdom. The blessings of God are not so that we can get comfortable. The blessings of God are so that he can use our resources and our blessings to make his name great among peoples where he is not getting worship right now. That's why. So the more we dig in here, the deeper we dig in here, the less we're willing and able to engage the mission. The more we dig in here, this is especially difficult for us as Americans because we are all pretty rich. We have a lot of opportunity. No doubt. So the temptation for us to dig in is great. We all have the opportunity to be gainfully employed, make lots of money, spend your time in a certain way. Is it so that you can dig in here more? Is it just so that you can enjoy the blessings? Yes, enjoy his blessings. But it doesn't stop there. Remember, remember, there are places that he does not get recognition, and that's what he wants, and so that's why he's blessed you. Does that make sense? Are you getting that connection? We are blessed so that his name would be made great. It takes faith to move like this. It takes faith to step out with shallow roots and not dig in here. It takes a lot of faith. You have to trust that he's up to something. Remember the promise. He is doing something. He is at work. And it takes faith to step out from the familiar and step into the unknown, not knowing how it's going to go, but trusting that he will accomplish his goal and his mission. He will do it. I'm going to step out, and I'm going to be agile and mobile in it. And I don't want to get tripped up. I want to be both willing and able to engage his mission with my time, my money, and my prayers. And the more we dig in, the less willing and able we are to do that. Faithful obedience to this mission will require shallow roots. If we're going to be faithfully obedient to the mission that he's called us to, it will require shallow roots. The third thing, briefly, I want you to see here in Hebrews 11, is what God is up to. Verse 10. For he was looking forward, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This call of Abraham, he is called to go. He is called to leave the familiar. He is called to go out. He is called to so that God's name would be made great among the nations. He is called to live with shallow roots. And third, he's called to look forward at what God is doing. Look at what I'm doing. Abraham was looking forward to it, and for him, it was Canaan. Right? For us, what, are we, what is he building? What is he doing? We're sojourners and travelers with shallow roots. What are we to look at? What are we supposed to be marveling at? How are we to be encouraged in this mission? What are we supposed to be looking and marveling at? He was looking to Canaan. What are we to look at? We look at the church. For us, he is designing 
He has designed and he is building the church. And so this mission doesn't happen without the church. This is what the church is called to. You will not be called to go and to step out in faith to make his name great, to tell others and preach and teach and tell the good news apart from your church. That's not a Lone Ranger thing here. He's building a church. The church sins and the church grows. Listen to Ephesians 2. We we were just here a few weeks ago or a month ago. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Blessing, right? Good thing. We have access to the Father. Ben unpacked that beautifully. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on a foundation of apostles, prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple of the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He is building his church, and we get to marvel at it on the journey. This is what helps us stay on mission, the church. You don't stay on mission without it. You're not on mission without it. You're not a part of his mission without the church. And this is the mission that the church is to be on. Troubled by unrecognized greatness. Not sleeping well because there are places and neighborhoods and villages and people that don't recognize his greatness and don't give him the worship he deserves. That's our mission. That's what this is all about. That's the bottom line. That's why he's blessed us. That's why you have a job. That's why you have a business. That's why you have a family. That's why you have the resources you have. That's why you have the time and the breath that you have. As he's called you and I, just like Abraham, to be on mission. Now, a couple of application points. Acts 1.8 is not multiple choice. Turn to Acts chapter 1. I want you to look at this. Acts 1.8 is not multiple choice. This is the account of Jesus is about to ascend and he's going to make a promise here. He's going to call them to something. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You. (laughs) You. Me. Me. You will be my witnesses. Well, I want to be a witness in Greenville, but God put me here. I'm going to be a witness at my work. I'm going to witness to him. Now, you, you will be a witness to him at the end of the earth. You will be. That's your call. That's his intention. That's his will. That's what he's doing. That is his work. He's called you to it. Ends of the earth. Now, how does that play out? You may not be able to go to the ends of the earth. 
You may not have the time. You may not have the money. You may not have the burden to plant yourself and your family. Is everybody supposed to be a missionary? Not necessarily overseas. But how are your prayers linked to the ends of the earth? How, how, many, how many, if any, of your dollars are linked to the ends of the earth? How much of your time is linked to the ends of the earth? Just think about that a minute because if it's not, if you're saying, well, I really care about Judea. I, I care about here, but I don't. You know, Other people care about, that's why they live there and that's why they go there. And, you know, part of Crosspoint gives some of the budget money to missions. But what about you? What about me? If it's target is small, man, you're missing out. If our prayers aren't connected to the ends of the earth, they're really not that big. Not as big as they could be. When your prayers and your time and your money are linked to the ends of the earth, all of a sudden, your worship grows because you see a bigger God at work all over the world. And when you connect your thoughts and your prayer life are infected by this mission, when your prayers are troubled by unrecognized greatness on the other side of the planet, your prayers get bigger, don't they? The view to your resources gets bigger. Look what God has done with this offering and this gift. And I invested in something happening over there and I'm praying for it. And all of a sudden your worship increases. Because worship is not only the goal of missions, worship is the fuel. As your worship increases, other worship increases. As your worship and your view of a big God on a big mission increases, your involvement in it will increase, and your worship of Him, your honor of Him, your recognition of Him will increase. Because He gets gets bigger. Our prayers get bigger. Our view of Him gets bigger. Our view of the work gets bigger. God intends to be worshipped at the ends of the earth today, and it is your call to be linked to it. How much of our speech and our talk of the good news is sprinkled with God's intentions to be known by all peoples? Acts 1.8 is not multiple choice. Number two, Jesus has called you individually and corporately just as he called Abraham. See if this verse sounds familiar. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We're going to talk more in the coming weeks of how you can connect and link your prayers, your thoughts, your family time, and even your money to the ends of the earth. And what that will do to your worship, we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. Now, last application point is just kind of an observation of mine. 
when we believe that this is his mission and when we align our lives and we adopt this as our mission and we are burdened with what God is burdened with and we adjust and engage and think and pray and go and give, it does something to our perspective. Our perspective. And it helps us do this. It helps us get over ourselves. A view like this, a mission this big, a God this great, and when I invest in it, and I think about it, and I engage it, I, I, my complaints, my problems, my besetting sins, all of it just kind of seems to fade. And I get over myself. When you engage a mission this big and a God this great, and you jump in the deep end, you, you just kind of get over yourself. Really, we got problems? I mean, I know we have legitimate issues and problems in our lives. I know we have grief and we, I know we have things we struggle with, but when you engage a mission this big and a God this great, it gives us a perspective that he is at work and he is at a, involved in a big work, bigger than us, bigger than Greenville, bigger than Texas. Hard to believe. Perspective. It will give us, when we engage, when we accept this call, when we pray these prayers, it will also awaken our hearts and burden our hearts for the lost people that we live amongst here. When I'm praying fervently for Derek and Casey and everybody they're meeting from North Africa and the Middle East, where Jesus' name is not recognized, he is not worshipped, and I get a burden for that. And I hear the stories that come back. And I talk to them. And when I talk to Abby and Ellie and Jack and Luke about their week or weeks over there engaging these people, being on this mission, giving up their time to be there. And when I hear that, man, I, I get a burden for the lost here because there are homes and neighborhoods right here where he does not get his recognition that he deserves and that he wants. And so all of a sudden my eyes are awakened and I'm more attentive to where Jesus is not getting the worship he deserves. So my burden for the lost here grows and my worship grows. Because worship is not just the goal, but it is also the fuel for the mission. Faithfully stepping into this agile obedience, living with shallow roots, with intentions to put on display the greatness of our God and the good news of Jesus to the nations, takes obedience and it takes faith. This is his mission. And this is our mission. As we take the supper, it is a supper of remembrance. We do this every week. It is a remembrance 
of the good news, a remembrance of who he is, what he has accomplished on our behalf, and it's why we even have a mission in the first place. And so we enjoy it. We enjoy this, this, uh, this good news. But it's also, hopefully, as we sit and enjoy this, this little meal, it's beautiful, right? I mean, it, just the, the enjoyment and the reminder again of what's really going on and what he has really accomplished on our behalf, the grace and the forgiveness, the beauty of it all. Hopefully it's also a reminder that there are places where this is not enjoyed. And he's at work to get more worshipers so that more people would take this supper in faith. Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table, the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There's a promise. It will be fulfilled, but in the meantime, I'm designing and building something, and I want you to eat this supper to remember. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the Kingdom of God comes, and he took bread, and when he had given it to them, he said, He gave thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pass out the elements.